flicks and scoops, people. Can you believe it? This is Ash, host with anything but the most. We're doing what we do best here and talking about films and ice cream. Next up, we've got resident funny man Chris Davis. Barman comes stand-up comedian. He fancied getting fidelitously high, you know, as in chose high fidelity. Luckily, it's my favourite ice cream to date, so it more than made up for the film. Spoiler warning now, spoiler warning. If you haven't seen High Fidelity, then it's a good shout to watch it before listening to our episode. But even if you have seen it before, watch it again. Or you'll never be Josh Safdie's muse on here Uncut Jams. Quick bit of zany miscellany for you. Some miscellaneous information about actor Billy Zane. Zany miscellany. Measuring in at 183 centimetres, Zane is exactly six foot tall. Fascinating stuff. Enough prattin' about. Here's Flicks and Scoops, episode 22. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Flicks and Scoops. Flicks and Scoops. I'm here with the artist formerly known as The Wondering Barman, who's has shunned the world of drinking comedy and has instead decided to embrace the world of comedy drinking. <laughs> Please give a warm welcome to Chris Davis. Hello, everyone. Hey, Ash. How are we doing? Good. Nice. Now, laid in front of us, we have a high fidelity inspired ice cream, mm. which is a chocolate base, salt caramel swirl running through, as well as pieces of ginger and a uh, walnut. The flavour and the film we'll get into shortly. Let's, let's have a bit of chinwag first, eh, shall we? Absolutely. I've just been straight in. Good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a claggy one, though, isn't it? It's a claggy one. It's going to get, yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of that going on for your listeners, I suppose. I think they're used to well, hopefully they're used to it by now, if they've heard any of them. Uh, yeah, I alluded to it briefly, but I think the majority of the listenership in Berlin, especially, will be familiar uh, with Chris from his Wondering Barman act, would you call oh. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is a stand-up show slash piss-up where you do a bit of comedy, uh, make a few drinks, get the audience nice and tipsy, but... Mm-hmm. The the times they were changing. Uh, you're hanging up, hanging up your bar blade and <laughs> setting off on the dusty road of stand up. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, well, so I've always done stand up. I've done stand up for about ten years, and I, I was a barkeeper as well. And I was kind of climbing the career ladder, and I found myself working in these like Michelin star places at one point. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I think I can teach people this level of professionalism and turn it into a stand-up comedy show. So that's what I've done, man. And I've done that for like five years. And The Wonder Environment isn't completely dead, but I've just put him on the sidelines, man. He's kind of went to bed with a hangover. He, he, he got into it too much, man. He had too much of the sesh. I had to put him to bed and he's just kind of sleeping off. have a word with yourself. I have a word. Yeah. Get, get a word with yourself, mate, because you're embarrassing both of us here. Um, so I now do it for more corporate stuff. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where the money is and that's where it's, uh, it's, it's a better setup because with the corporate stuff, I know how many people are going to be there. I know how long I'm going to be doing it for. Um, and the Wondering Barman as a ticketed event was just becoming a bit too, it was a bit of a logistical nightmare. And I was also personally getting a little bit tired of the cocktail and the comedy thing. How long have you been doing it for? I was doing it for about six years. Mm. like strictly that for six years right. yeah yeah and I was so I was still I was still keeping that element of comedy and I was still being able to like um, exercise the kind of creation in the cocktails but now uh, yeah since when did I stop kind of like la- the middle of last year I just went right and since then, I've just been focusing on my stand-up comedy. Yeah, right. And that was the Death of a Barman show, is yeah, it? Yeah, well, I called it Death of a Barman to kind of, you know, as a little segue mm. from The Wandering Barman into that. But um, I don't know. I don't think I'm still working out the hour. So I'm trying to take it to Edinburgh in, uh, this year. I don't think it's going to be called Death of a Barman, though. But I, I still need to figure out a title. Work in progress. Yeah, it's a work in progress, <laughs> man. Have you done Edinburgh before? Yeah, yeah. Please. Try it. Um, I went back in 2014 and 2015 um, with a group of people. We done like there was four of us, and we done this one show, 
It was awesome. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. But this time, I'm going to do my solo show just for me, so it's going to be a bit different. Yeah. And right. Edinburgh Fringe, if none of you know, it's like it's the biggest comedy festival in the world. It's where you go to, like, it's like the boot camp of comedy stuff. You perform every day, your hour, you're hustling, you're out in the streets, flying your own shows and stuff. It can be a bit depressing. <laughs> it can be. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering, because, uh, yeah, I would have thought Scotland um, uh, has a better audience for comedy. Um, were you doing comedy before you came to Berlin? No, I found it here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I found it here. What got you into it? I think, man, um, I was, I started doing like improv, like uh, comedy improv classes back in 2010, 2010, 2011. And then I just kind of found that it came very easy to be funny on stage in front of people. And I think throughout life as well, people had maybe set throughout school and stuff, hey, Chris, you should be an actor or you should, uh, you, you, that's a funny story. I was kind of getting told every now and then as my ego was delighted um, to to feel, you know, um, oh, yeah, the, 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 you're funny, you should maybe take it to the stage. And when I saw, when I started doing the improv stuff, I'd done that for like a year and I kind of got, a little bit bored of that a little bit quickly for some reason. I'm not really sure why. I can't really pinpoint it. But what I did see, because I was in that world, is people doing stand-up. And as soon as I tried that, that was really where the bug took me. And I just was like, right, I, I, this is what I want to do. It's interesting because a lot of people, a lot of stand-up comedians now start in improv. Yeah. Do you think it helps with like crowd work? And oh, I do. It's like, it helps with just a lot of performance, uh, live stage performance is really like, being comfortable on stage and being confident on stage. And once you've mastered like a big chunk of that, then the other stuff you can kind of learn along the way, like how to write a joke and um, how to kind of be funny and how to work with an audience and do crowd work. You can kind of learn this. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, like, like stage presence, you know, you either have it or you don't. It's a bit like a personality. So that's what the improv finds out pretty quickly mm, okay. you know it, it helps you out pretty quickly if you can work well with others on stage if you can be comfortable on stage and that is like half the battle of someone finding you funny if you're a nervous wreck on stage no one's going to find you funny because they're not going to get they're not going to see past that yeah no matter how like really good your stuff is you have to just be like so grounded on stage and like be very like very calm and collected you know i'm always a bit wary of uh, improv because if it's done well it's really good but if it's done badly, it's oh, it's, cringe it's cringe beyond belief. But so is everything, though, performative-wise. You know, you go to the theatre and you see some terrible actors like fluffing their lines True. and all that, you know, and, and they're just not, like, selling it. They just haven't done their research. Or they, they're just shit. <laughs> it's really bad. Have you ever, like, seen a stand-up bomb? It's the worst, but you're right. Like, like an improv when there's, like, four people really trying their best to make you laugh and they're all just sucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is so bad. I want to make be... it stop. Yeah, yeah, I want to be anywhere else, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you bummed? Oh, are you shitting me? <laughs> I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have come this far as a comedian if I hadn't bombed. Character building. Oh mm -hmm. my God, it's the biggest character. You can't be, it's impossible to be um, a good performer um, if you're killing it all the time. If you're having a good time and everyone's loving you, no, you're going to fall flat on your ass one day and it's going to be very painful mm. emotionally. You know, like your soul is going to leave your body. So you need to fail along the way. Um, and that's what bombing is. The, the, the hardest I ever bombed, man, was me and my friend, uh, soon we went to New York um, for five days and we just went, let's just go to New York and do some comedy. <laughs> we were like four years in doing comedy. So... We go and we just done like open mics in New York, which was such an amazing experience. Man. I bet, I bet. Um, we were able to wangle like one booked show where we could, we weren't getting paid, but it was like an actual show with a proper audience and not just about like 50 comedians sitting in an audience waiting to do their turn mm. on stage. And they gave us two minutes each, two and a half minutes each it was. And uh, and it's, uh, they called me, you don't know when your name's getting called, so you can't really prepare. <clears throat> so there's 50 comedians man you're there for like three four hours sometimes oh, wow. you're just watching all these comedians mm. so about two and a half hours and three hours sitting there they call my name and i go up and i pick up the microphone and the cable falls out the bottom of the microphone and just lands on the ground and i was so nervous i didn't know what to do obviously you just pick it up and put it back in that's what anyone would do but i never <laughs> and i just 
So that made me look like an absolute amateur, which of course I kind of was back then. And someone came over and was like, what, don't they have electricity in Scotland? <laughs> and then plugged it in for me. And then I done my like my two minute bit in one minute, 10 seconds. And I just raced through it. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was no delivery. There was no timing. There was no technique. There was nothing. And I bombed hard. But uh, it was great because I got up the next morning at like six o'clock in the morning and started writing my notes, ripped it all apart, like took it together and then killed it the next day. Just off, off, yeah, 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 for sure, man. That's the only way to do it. Nice. Yeah. Um, do you like the ice cream? Dude, it is amazing, man. It is amazing. So the most dominant flavor is the salt, saltiness. The salted caramel, yeah, yeah, for me, and then the chocolate, and then the walnut comes in, of course, because there's like big chunks of it in there. But the the ginger is just mm, it's just lingering there ever so ever so subtly. I don't get so much of the ginger either. I'm, um, I'm getting it in the aftertaste. It's lingering. Yeah. The, the kind of. Um, I'll, I'll just explain it uh, before we both eat it all. <laughs> but I had, I had quite a hard time thinking of a flavour for this one. But he's always making top five lists and mm -hmm. I happened to stumble on an article that was talking about the five basic flavors and um, that are sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami. So we've got uh, bitter chocolate, sweet, salty, salt caramel, sour ginger, and the umami is walnut. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's basically <clears throat> how we learn cocktail making. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's the flavors mm -hmm. you're using in your mouth. And that's, you know, a little, a little cheap, is that um, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're kind of creating cocktails, try and hit at least three or four of those points, like uh, th three or four out of those five, and you'll have a fairly balanced cocktail. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll keep that in mind for the next uh, yeah. next time I do it. Yeah, yeah. Good to know, because I basically have all the gear and no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, yeah, going to have a quick lane change, because I'm sure you get fed up talking about comedy. And, sure. Uh, stand up all the time. Uh, I just wanted to mention your own podcast that you started called Lifting Your Spirits. Mm -hmm. And uh, fair play to you. You record the video as well, which would give me physical anxiety. But it's kind of similar to Flicks and Scoops in a way. Because um, you have a guest on, you make them a cocktail, and then chew the fat, really. Um, is there any rhyme or reason to the cocktails that you, you make for your guests? Um, actually, no, there's not. Um, there was only one, my friend Liliana, she's from Colombia. So I made her a rum-based drink. Mm. Um, yeah, that was about, that was about the, the extent of where I went. <laughs> I think it was just randomly, to be honest, man, I was making the drinks that I know how to make best. So I was kind of exhibiting my own creations in the cocktails rather than succumbing to kind of what the guests would maybe, would maybe want, because they were just happy to drink a cocktail. Right. And I, my, my whole idea with the lifting the spirits, lifting your spirits, was that I would release the cocktail as a little recipe video and then it would lead on to a kind of interview. Yeah. So I was hoping to kind of package them up <coughs> like twice, you know, Rona. Uh, well, that's, what I really like. <laughs> that's what I really like about it actually is that you have this really lavish setup in the first room, a nice backdrop, shells brimming with alcohol and then you, <laughs> you take, the, take the drink through to your guest and you've got a proper, proper cosy in the kitchen. Um, was that an intended gag or am I just reading too much into it? No, that? no, it was, uh, I, yeah, I, I just wanted to take the camera up and just completely break down the illusion <laughs> of, of the, the, the fanciness because that is actually something that always uh, it's like a like a like a thread that runs through the wandering barman in general is breaking down the illusion of the fancy schmanciness of cocktails mm. i feel like because uh, cocktails and you know cocktail bars and cocktail barkeepers they can be so pretentious they can be so protective you don't you don't do it that way you do it this way and all the rest of it and i, I when i got to a certain level i realized that i want to show people how to make these really professional kind of like Michelin star cocktails or professional high-end cocktails at home. You can do it yourself. You don't need to pay 15, 16 quid for a, for a cocktail in some of these places. If, you, if, you, if, if I show you how it's done, you can do it at home. And because it was 2020, so we're all stuck in our house. The idea was that people would go do it themselves, you know, because bars were closed, so they had no other option than to do it at home. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, well, it's clear that you still get enjoyment from making drinks and oh, yeah. making drinks for people and stuff. Is it more the creation of the cocktails that inspires you to do it? I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
it's an excuse, isn't it? It's an excuse. Um, it's an excuse to drink stronger stuff than beer or wine or long drinks. Yeah. Um, and look sophisticated at the same time. And look sophisticated at the same time, man, exactly. But I love, I really love messing around with flavor. And I think I'd, I've definitely lost my touch now since not working in bars since 2019. Um, if you were to throw me into that kind of setting again where I was in 2019, I think it would take me a wee while to get my taste buds back into that that zone because you kind of forget it. But when I was, it's all about taste, and that's what cocktails are all about: balance of flavor. Uh, and once you can, once you start nailing that, you can really go places with it. You know, you can really you can pick anything off a shelf and make it taste amazing just because you know a rough idea of the characteristics of what you're working with. I guess it helps working in the bar as well because you can throw ideas around with other people. I mean, when you're working in cocktail bars, that's pretty much part, part, a large part of what you do is you get together at, like, at least one, at least once in the shift mm. and you, you, someone goes, right, Chris, you're up today and you spend like, a, you, you spend, you don't just whip up a cocktail in 10 minutes for everyone. You kind of, you, you think about it through your shift and then at a certain point you go, right, I think that's going to work and you make it. And then you make like three little mini ones for you and your two colleagues that you're working with. And then it, you know, and if it's good, it can potentially go in the menu and stuff. And that's yeah. really what you want, man. Like, <laughs> you want something of like at that caliber, like going on the menu. Yeah, right. Yeah. Have you ever made a cocktail with ice cream? I have. Oh, <clears throat> do you remember what it was? It was a vegan cocktail, actually. Because okay. we done, we done a, we used to do, uh, we done a supper club with my friend Simone, who cooks, and um, she's 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 a. a absolutely fantastic kind of high-end kind of cook as well so i would pair my drinks towards her um courses and we done a vegan one one time and it was i don't remember what the booze was or not it was like cognac it was like a kind of it was like you remember coca-cola floats oh yeah 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 it was kind of like that so it was a bit like it was like cognac and then this hazelnut vegan ice cream um and it, like fizz, like I think I put like ginger ale in it or something to give it a, a bit of fizz and then a couple of straws and it had like a kind of chocolate wafer. Oh, yeah, with a bit, of, great. With a bit of cream in it. Yeah, and there was yeah. cream in it, yeah, yeah. And then it, it would just kind of sit there and you could, it was heavy. I bet. But it was good. Right my straw. Hey man, we should, maybe we should try and recreate that. Maybe we should. I'd be all over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's, let's do it. I kind of actually never really popped into my head until you asked me. Yeah. I'm wondering, barman. Yeah. You, <laughs> oh, yeah, that was oh, good. fucking wait for that. That was mate. good. <laughs> um, are you ready to get into high fidelity? Let's do this, man. It's, it was brilliant. Yes, please. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. What came first? Music or the misery? People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos. Some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? So, Chris, yes. are you a flicker or a scooper? No, you're going to have to explain this to me. Uh, What's fl a flicker? <laughs> a flicker is someone who prefers films. A scooper is someone who prefers ice cream. Okay, I get you. I should have got that. I should have got that, Ash. I do apologize. <laughs> Didn't do his homework. <laughs> I thought it was the way that I eat ice cream. Like, do you flick your do ice you cream when you eat it or do you scoop it when you eat it? I was like, I don't know what the fuck the flicker part is here. Anyway, um, that's a tough one, man. I mean, this is the thing. I don't really have favourite anythings, you know? Okay. I don't really have a preference. <laughs> pathetic. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely am, man. And it's actually something I want to touch on from from um, the from what I get. Okay, from, 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 from high fidelity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't have uh, uh, movies. I mean, movies. I watch more movies than I do ice cream. So I guess we'll put it down to that. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, <laughs> do you prefer eating your ice cream from a cup or a cone? I'm going to say cone. Uh, I have to say cup rather. Yeah, I like the. I like the fact. I feel like if I have a cone, like I start kind of, I kind of start like proper licking it like a little dog. <laughs> Because I'm, it's melting and it's getting a bit messy, and uh, you know I like the cleanliness and I like to keep it in the. I feel it in the cup. If it melts a little bit, that's fine. You I can feel, drink it at the end. Exactly. I yeah. feel in a cone. If it melts a little bit, you're kind of like, uh, have you, you got a napkin? Yeah. I don't want to ask for a napkin. I just want to enjoy my ice cream in the sun. Would you ever call it a tub? By the way, a tub. I call it a tub more than a cup. Mm. Yeah. Because I got into a heated debate with a friend who said that it, nobody ever calls it a tub. 
Mm, and this is why, and we will get on to this, this is why I don't have favourites of things. This is why I don't have preferences because you end up wasting your time having heated debates about <laughs> tub or cone or cup. You say wasted. <laughs> I, I say very, I'm too busy, Ash. very important to the fabric of history. I've got shit to do, man. <laughs> Just give me the ice cream. And is ice cream usually a snack of choice at the cinema? Yeah, man. That I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I listen. I do love my ice cream. Um, I, I give it a good bash. It's only in the past couple of years that I've really got into ice cream. I'll buy like the odd tub of ice cream. Is that from being in Berlin? It is from being in Berlin. So I wasn't the biggest of, uh, like the ice cream that I kind of grew up with was the Neapolitan mm. ice cream. That that was my, that was what my family would get. That was about the extent, that or Vianetta. I mean, it's, it's a, a goodie. It's all right, man. It's all right. <laughs> a crunch in there, man. Um, so I never really, I'm, I'm just more of a savory person, but lately... I've been getting, there's, there's been a little boom of ice cream in Berlin, I feel. It's not just your Haagen-Dazs and your Ben & Jerry's. There's something called Florida Ice. Mm. Uh, there's, a, there's something else. There's a bunch of vegan ones. Clearly the best is yours. Thank you. Actually, <laughs> genuinely. Um, but yeah, so cinema, hot dog. Hot dog. I've been going for a hot dog. That mate. is the first. That yeah. is the flicks and scoops first. I'm going Fucking for a hot dog. <laughs> Go for the hot dog, mate. Do you put all the sauces and shit on oh it as well? Oh my god, yes, because I'm a sucker for processed meat. <laughs> a sucker for processed meat. Wow. I hate it. I actually, it's it's shameful, but I have to be truthful. Do you not man. feel a bit burned paying through the arse? For... Yeah, but I feel burned anyway, man. If I'm buying ice cream, you know, what I would usually do is I would usually um, take some sweets in with me in my pockets and Good shit. smuggle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then generally I get some popcorn. But, you know, if we're going back to the UK, and we're going to like Cinerod or something, I'll, uh, I'll quite happily fork out on one of these like two litre Coca-Cola things <laughs> and like a big dirty bastard hot dog. Do you go to the cinema often? I do. Big cinema go. Yeah, yeah, at least a couple of times a month. More so than you watch stuff at home? No. Nah, I mean, you, you watch stuff at home every night, don't you really? Or do you? Do I you? do. Well, I try to, yeah. Do we? Does, does one? I think that's how society functions, right? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that's the shut off for me. I go home and if stick you, on Netflix. If you watch something at home, though, are you actually watching it or are you usually doing something else while you watch it? I have to admit, I usually watch it. Okay. I, like the Good thing stuff. is, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, a, I don't usually play with my phone and, and then have Netflix on in the background or mm. I don't like have, I don't do other stuff on my computer or Netflix is on the background. I watch it. Now that's not to say that I'm on, like I'm always concentrating. Sometimes my mind wanders into fucking God knows where. Yeah. So I'm not entirely concentrated on it. But no, I'm, I'm if I'm watching like a movie or a series or, or whatever on my computer, then... I'm watching it. I'm not doing it else. That's why I like going to the cinema quite a lot is because I do watch a lot of stuff at home and I, I'm involved in it. Yeah. But even still, I find that it's so much easier for my mind to wander if but, I'm at home. But what do you do? You have, do you do other stuff? Like, have no, you got no, other, no, no, no. Are I, you actually just sit and watch I, it? I really, yeah, if I put a film on to watch, I will sit and watch a film. It depends. Like If it's something that I've seen before that I'm chucking on while I'm cleaning or you know, if I'm like, mm. you know, doing whatever, designing some you know, shit, whatever. I never do that when I'm writing and shit. I never have like visuals on in the background. It's always music. I right. never have visuals on man, because I can. But do you, not, possible. do you not concentrate too much on the lyrics and the songs? Mm, I listen to like pure, yeah, yeah. I, I listen to stuff that's non. So I listen to like Panama. Scottish trance. <laughs> Scottish trance, absolutely, man. Fucking, it's a very productive day when you've got Scottish trance going on. No, I listen to stuff like um, about a trip hop stuff from time to time. Okay. Or, and this is what I've been getting into lately to help me writing meditation music. Oh, very yeah, yeah. But usually I would listen to like Pan American stuff or. Stuff like like Brian Eno, instrumental yeah, yeah, like yeah. Brian Eno or something, and just having that in the background, just kind of like wavy, nice electronic music, it kind of helps bring me down. Yeah, yeah it makes me less anxious <laughs> with the, like trying to be funny on on a computer. <laughs> they love me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Why did you choose High Fidelity? It's just, it's just, it's just a great film, man. It's just, this is obviously a personal thing, but I've just watched it the most. You know, you have those movies that when you're lying in bed either feeling a little bit depressed or you're just actually genuinely sick. It's just that go-to movie that just makes me always feel better. I know it inside out and yeah. Like a comfort film. It is a very much a comfort film. It's like if you watch Toy Story or something at Christmas, you know, it's also one of mine. At Christmas is the good Toy Story. I'd say that's a better choice, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember the first time that you saw it? I, I don't really. I don't. 
it wasn't like such a kind of stick out uh, film like that, but um, you know, it was released in 2000. I remember seeing it in 2000. I didn't go to the cinema end to see it. Um, so it would have been some sort of weird, like, remember putting these like um, fake cards or chips in the back of your sky or your cable <laughs> or pirate or some shit like that. I would have been through that because I, I remember watching it at home. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. always shit like that knocking about. And, and Absolutely, man. Like some guy, how big Jimmy up the pub's got a, a card reader exactly, yeah, for yeah. 40 quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how you said 35 and I said 40. We're totally, it's pretty much on the button of the exact same. We come from a similar <laughs> background, me and you, Ash. We do, we do. Cut from the same cloth. That's uh, it. Yeah, the, well, the follow up question was, uh, was it particularly memorable? But I guess not. But it was the same for me as well. Like, yeah. I think because <clears> of the time it came out, to what did you say, 2000, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I would have been what 12 at the time so i think then once it came out on video or dvd or you know sky yeah. or something i probably would have been like 14 so i think i probably just chucked it on sure. know, sky movies or whatever yeah, yeah so yeah. i don't really remember it oh, well i was 15 when it came out so it was and, and i don't remember you know it, it gave a memorable a memorable impression that's for sure mm. but just i don't remember when i first watched it yeah, but right. i remember you know what came first the music or the misery <laughs> brilliant yeah um I mean, we, we we're, we're, we're pretty much um, culturally influenced, aren't we? Like, <clears throat> I don't think that, I mean, were the Neanderthals just kicking about, like, totally depressed with anxiety <laughs> and, you know, ADHD and all the rest of it? Like, or, or, or is it because of all the things that we've been exposed to uh, that, that, make us, that make us sad, you know? And that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that, um, that Rob says in the opening scenes is like, you know, did we... Is it the pop music that made us sad or, or are we sad because of pop music? It's kind of the same thing you think about it. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's a kind of philosophical kind of uh, metaphysical question really, man. But I would say that it was the music that made us sad. That's uh, what we get lost in. That's what I've written in my notes also. Yeah, I'll put, yeah. So. I reckon people tend to listen to music before they become miserable. Um, especially someone like Rob who's so into music, you'd imagine he listened to um, music way before he had a relationship, for example. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that music uh, causes misery. No, um, but uh, outside social influence causes misery, you know, <laughs> like you, you know, movies and, 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 and literature particularly. And the, it's, it's, it's the exposure of feelings and feelings doesn't just have to be happiness, man. It can be like uh, sad and, you know. Yeah, very true. I think I would say Rob causes his own misery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Or at least he perceives it, you know, coming from his relationships. Um, and that he <clears throat> seems to use music to, to soothe his mardiness, for want of a, of a better yeah. word, um, as I think a lot of people do, mm -hmm. probably. Um, but I was... Well, like you said, it's a sort of like a chicken and egg scenario. And maybe the music that he listens to governs his behavior. Rob is pretty, he's a pretty selfish dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's just thinking, you know, he he, he blames everyone else for his her, for his life failings, particularly the woman. That's what this, you know, the film is centered around. Mm. He doesn't take any responsibility for, for what he does at all. And he's this character that I somehow have such... Uh, an affiliation with in a way but also like a kind of empathy with and he's and, and i don't know why because he's an asshole <laughs> um but i think there's a pivotal point in the in the movie that that's when you start to 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 like him again and he starts to understand as well that it is actually about him he actually looks inside himself and stops blaming other people why they left him and why they were with some other guy and all that you know yeah yeah no, i agree does the particle of the mind <laughs> Mind with the body, I don't know. Um, has, yeah. the, uh, has the film had an influence on your life at all? Oh, dude, yes. It has, man, it has. So, um, in a number of ways, um, you know, first of all, the music. So I'm 15 years old when I uh, when I watched this. And the only real music that I'd been exposed to up in that, and up, uh, uh, the only real music that I'd been exposed to up until that point, well, it wasn't a lot, man. Yeah, I don't know. What sort of stuff were you listening to before you'd seen this? So, 
I'm going to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to like some Oasis. I'm going to Travis. So I'm going to like some kind of some indie British kind of stuff. Maybe a little bit of the Smiths, but I think even a little bit after. I was listening to like the Doors, and I was listening to like the Kinks and the Beach Boys because that's what my dad was listening to. Mm. I didn't really really understand what the Beach Boys were. You know, I just thought it was like just like nice suck music, and this gave me a proper understanding. This opened the floodgates. To, to all the music, man, uh, that, that, that I had going on. Um, uh, the Beta Band and Primal Scream and um, like Ben Sebastian and I mean, Bob Dylan I knew of, but there's a moment where, uh, you know, Jack Black puts Blonde on Blonde up to the guy and he's like, don't worry, I, can't, I don't believe you don't own Blonde on Blonde. Tell no one, just, you know, just everything's going to be okay yeah. now that you have it. And I was like, shit, I should have Blonde on Blonde. And I didn't know Blonde on Blonde. I just yeah, knew yeah. Of, of Bob Dylan. And then, um, yeah, and then that that stretched out into like um, Stereo Lab and Echo and the Bunnymen and Jesus and Mary Shane and all that. And it was just The Boss. Springsteen, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was my first kind of exposure to, to Springsteen. Was it CDs that you used to buy? Or have you always bought vinyl? Or? No, it was CDs that I used to buy. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I've only really bought vinyl in the past 10 years or so. Oh, one since of the wankers. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I had a few, actually, that's a total lie. I had a record player when I was at university when I was 18. So I did buy a couple of a couple of crackers there, some old 60s stuff. I definitely had Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. That's just a classic sitting in your room, tripping Star balls. Wars, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then I remember buying the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and this awesome band called Dead 60s, uh, which... From Liverpool. You I know think, the Dead I, th 60s? I think we have a very, very, very similar taste in music, actually. Oh, my God. The Dead Sixties are honestly one of my yeah. all-time favourites. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, dude, they are so good. So I also only saw them uh, live once, and it was in Aberdeen. Aberdeen, where I studied, was a very vibrant, uh, still is, hugely vibrant music scene. And they would come and play in this place called The Tunnels, which was just this, this, this absolutely amazing... It was like a, an old, it looked like a train station, you know, and it was it was thin and narrow and kind of uh, what would you call it? Curved, like an oval shape, like curved, you know, with like open open red brick, like exposed wall, and the sound in there was just banging. And I saw the Dead Sixties there, and I got their album, which was a double album. And what they done is they done their awesome kind of almost kind of punky kind of poppy sound. They've got grown thrashy, yeah. and then they had repeated the album as a as a dub version, and it is one of the best things you've ever heard in your life, man. Oh man, I'll think yeah. about listening later. I'll give it up. You've got a record player, presumably? No, no. Right. Yeah, well, we can maybe stick it on YouTube or something like that, which is just yeah, not I'm the sure same. Got it online. They, they do, they do, but it's just, just not the out, same. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, would you have heard? Would you, would you have owned the Dead Sixties album or something? Uh, on CD, yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was big into that whole indie wave of yeah, Dead Sixties, Jamie T, mm -hmm. uh, well, Arctic, Liberty, you know, all that uh, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, do you think Hyperdelic can be seen as a coming of age story? I don't know, man. I thought about this. Maybe like an emotional, like like an emotional journey, like an emotional coming of age. But I see a coming of age movie as more kind of. Like is that not more like Stand by Me and um, and shit like that? Like kind of like you're growing up, and you're looking back. But I guess it is. A it could bit. be, but I also think Rob's a bit of a man child, so it's totally. <laughs> it's almost like Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's having his coming of age. Totally. I, yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would agree with it. Yeah. Because I think he's he's quite well. He's he's totally self-absorbed, and by the end, he's slightly less mean. Uh, slightly less self-absorbed, slightly less introverted um, man. But do you feel sorry for him at any point? No, no, no. I really, really despise him. <laughs> <laughs> I think what made it worse actually is that uh, a friend of mine, who, to, in fairness, does kind of look a bit like John Cusack, mm. he modelled his entire identity on Rob in <laughs> in High Fidelity, right? Uh, for a time when I'd first met him and was like growing up with him and stuff. And he openly admitted this or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves it. Oh shit! But, right. it, but it boils my piss. So then, <laughs> any time we used to watch High Fidelity, it would just uh, annoy me. Okay, really. okay. So that's that's an that's an external. That's a cultural thing that we're talking about, man. That's what makes you hate the film. Yeah, uh, maybe if it wasn't for your pal, uh, you wouldn't have that view of the film. Could have been. Could have been. You know, maybe there's elements of myself in Rob or mm, vice versa. There you go. There you I'm go. just too scared to admit yeah. to. See, that's what I see. I, see. I'm, I think I'm happy to admit that. Mm. It, I mean, maybe not so much now, but like back then that was, 
there was a lot of that I saw of myself and Rob, and I think I was just maybe better at admitting that and owning it. Yeah. You know? um, I, I mentioned it in a, a previous episode, but I recently came across a term called Bildungsroman. Have you heard this? What's it called? A Bildungsroman. No. It's a German term, apparently. Um, it's essentially a coming-of-age story um, or describes the process by which maturity is achieved um, morally and I think psychologically as well. So I think it can sort of... Okay, right. Because yeah. I, I do think it's an emotional coming-of-age story, that's for sure, for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, self-education and yeah. ordeals of love and larger society and all that. Sure. Bollocks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How does the death of Laura's dad interact with Rob's fear of relationships? Well, it's, a, it's like a, it's a really pivotal point. It's the pivotal point um, because up until that point, he's not looked into himself and mm. he's not even apologised to um, Laura and that's where the big apology happens. Um, he says the word sorry, which actually always kind of uh, stuck with me on that scene because the way he says it, even just like John Cusack as an actor, I thought he totally nailed the way he said sorry because he's not sorry for Rob Dad's death. He's sorry for him. He's immediately realized that he, he, he's he been so self-absorbed and everything's about him and he doesn't look outside. Um, he's, he's constantly looking outside and never looking in. And he says sorry for that. And it's kind of spurred on by his sister in the movie who's played by his actual, actual sister. sister. Yeah, yeah, Joan Cusack, who I think is an underrated character in that, that whole film. It's in great. every film she's in, she's ah, pretty she's underrated. She's always underrated. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. mental. So she kind of says this, she's like, you know, she's talking to him, like, yeah, it's really hard on Laura. And it's just like, she's going through a really hard time at, at the moment. And he's like, yeah, you know, you know, you, you, know, you, you, you don't have to be, you know, th thanks for being so nice. And thanks for, thanks for looking out for my feelings. You know, she's like, I'm not. <laughs> it's about Laura, not you. And I think that's that moment when he goes up and he says to Laura, I'm sorry. And then he leaves. And then he's literally at his lowest moment, like physically sitting in a flower bed in the rain, getting covered in mud. And it's from that point, you know, from a storytelling point of view, from like a stylistic point of view, he can only get higher off that flower bed from from then on. You know, he can't get lower, he can't get any, he can't go underground. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's it's a huge moment where uh, he then gets kind of back together with Laura, and everything kind of like settles down. And that's when everything starts to be good, really. Again, he starts to do his nights and, uh, you know, everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah, Well, I think it's probably the fear of death that gives him the kick up the arse. Oh, you know, think the so, the yeah. realisation. Yeah, I think so. And maybe from a selfish point of view, but it seems like Laura's dad is one of the only people who actually liked him. So maybe from a very narcissistic angle, yeah. that's why it actually hits him because nobody else really gives that much of a shit about. Yeah, yeah, true. Whereas this guy's like, oh, actually, yeah, this he's not there anymore. And he sheds a tear as well at the at the funeral, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. What's your favourite scene? So many, There's so many, man. So, um, when they're both discussing, like, have you seen Evil Dead Two yet? You know, and and Rob's just going off at Barry, Jack Black's character. Yeah. He's like, well, have I told you, have I seen Evil Dead 2 yet? Would you think I was going to go to see it? Or would you think that I'd already seen it, but wanted to go, but I wanted to see it so bad that... And Jack Black's just like, dude, I don't know. Of course you're going to see it. You saw it twice, once with me, once with Laura. Oops. <laughs> and um, and it's just great because it's a moment where like, Rob is just too frightened to just be open and honest and just talk about the actual thing that he's trying to talk about. He's, he's kind of sideswiping it into Evil Dead and not... Turn around and go, guys, Laura said she hasn't had sex with this guy yet. What do you think that means? You know, so they're just kind of going back and forth with this evil dead thing. I love it. I think it's hilarious. That's a very interesting way of looking at it because I completely read that scene in a different way. Uh -huh. And I thought he said it in the evil two analogy because he knew that if he said Laura has said this, then they would not given the answer that he wanted they, they wouldn't give an honest answer if you know what I mean because that's that's true that's true that's def, that's that's definitely uh, yeah uh, that's actually uh, a, a, a kind of a, a deeper uh, analysis of it because you know at one point Jack Black says um, well I mean you know if, you know if you really wanted to see it you would have went to go see it you know and then John Cusack you see this like like this alleviated kind of John Cusack going oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, you're right. And then just as a little beat, and then Jack Pat's like, hmm. But then the word, yeah, 
And then he's like, oh, God, you know, you're not, you're not giving me what I want here, you know? Um, yeah, I guess I've just got too much faith and honesty. Like, if you actually turn around <laughs> to those two, like, misfits of characters like Barry and Dick, that they will actually tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah anything with the Jack Black, I think, would be my top scenes in it. Which is a shame, actually, because I, I used to quite like doing the whole... It's a it's a Cosby sweater. Yeah, I used to do that. So but yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, times have changed now. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So no, you, can, you can still totally see it, man, because it's it's Dustin Cosby as well. So you get like a, a double win with that one. Yeah, uh, that's true. Maybe I'll bring it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's also yeah that 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 um, the Jet Black bit is brilliant, and um, there's the rearranging the records and his um, and his and his apartment which I was always fascinated with. I wish I'd had anywhere near that amount of records to do something as nerdy as that, where he goes, you know, if, you know, if I want to, um, if, if someone asks me, if I want to find uh, the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, I have to remember that I bought it for someone uh, in, the, in, 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 the, in the fall of autumn 1983 pile, but didn't give it to them for personal reasons. <laughs> and, little, and little Dick's just sitting there like absolutely amazed at this, you know, and I found that, Absolutely fascinating. Have um, you got any uh, collections of stuff that you would, you know, alphabetize? Or? I don't think I've got, I own that much shit. Mm. Like, the, the, like this one is sound pretentious, but the most things I have is like comedy notes. I've got books and books and books of that, and that's just chronological. Yeah, yeah. I save all my diaries as well. Yeah, so all your like, I mean, you know, your schedule diaries, not that like uh, uh, dear diary. Oh, okay, right. Dear diary, I, uh, you know, someone. Uh, you know, I don't know, someone fucking will fuss with me today. You know? <laughs> um, like schedules, you know, just things. I've kept them since like, back to like 2016 now. Because one day, I'm going to get dementia. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to look back and it's going to like trigger all this shit. So it's going to be a pragmatic way of looking yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing to look back even now at what you've done in 2017. You, like, you remember all the, like, even just meeting Anton at this hour, at this pub, it, you'd remember it. You go mm. back to that memory. Yeah, it's very, it's very intriguing. It's very interesting, man. Maybe that's a good way of enhancing your memory. Yeah, actually. yeah. I think, I think it is, man. But for me, I do it to stave off dementia. Okay. Because as soon as my brain goes, man, that's it. Yeah, gone, yeah. man. Well, it's it's one thing that I, uh, I don't. It doesn't give me a great deal of worry, but one thing I noticed just from your podcast, for example, like you have very, very minimal notes, whereas. For me doing this, my my notes are like as long as my arm. Do you do you think your stand ups help with remembering? Yeah, I mean it has. I mean I can do like whole hours on stage without having to look at my notes, you mm. know. Um, but uh, that's just part of the job, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there's one scene. In please do. I was going to say, got a bit off track there. Go yeah, on. yeah. There's one scene in particular that just always it's just it's when. Laura's having the best sex ever with Tim Robbins. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so, so precise, you know. It's just exactly how it plays out in your head. And I think that we've got older now. Like, this isn't really something I don't think that I would think about, like, too much. But I remember being 18 years old and being riddled with jealousy, like, hypothetical jealousy mm. of, like, what happens if your if your girlfriend leaves you and then she goes off with someone else? This thought of them being intimate with someone else, just having the best sex ever and you getting lost in this like vortex of like ideas and imagery um i just think that really painted the perfect picture and it's got this amazing is it barry white the soundtrack in the background <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, they'll just have a and it's funny it's hilarious and it's also like super real and you just see like john cusack flaring about in his bed under the covers going ah you know yeah no, get out of my head it's quite a good depiction of how people catastrophize that's stuff the, in their own very head. good yeah. word yeah 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 totally um which character do you relate to if any or is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you yeah so i would say like um um joan joan cusat's character actually yeah yeah i mean i could go i could go easy and i could go like jack black because he's funny and high energy and stuff mm. like that you know but she was the one that kind of just like sits there in the shadows and she reminds me really much of my own sister because she really tells uh, Rob just how it is. Like it's, he's the most transparent, you know, there's no, uh, there's no quibbles there, man. She just tells him exactly how it is. You know, she comes in and she calls him like a fucking asshole uh, and the thing, but she's, she feels sympathy towards him as well. Look, man, you know, I'm not taking sides here. Like, I don't really, I don't really agree with this Ian guy, you know, and then he's like, what? 
fucking E guy. And then she tells him to him straight, like I, like I said in the funeral, you know, she's like, yeah, this isn't about you, you know, um, this is about Laura. And I think that's that's that that is a genuinely pivotal moment for me between, you know, sister to brother, and then he kind of there's a lot that that comes to uh, to his own realization in that point. What a nice answer. Hmm. <laughs> um, you, so your sister's older. My sister's seven years older. Yeah. Okay. So she just sees straight straight through me, though, man. There's no bullshit, you know. Yeah. So if I'm doing something wrong, she'll be like that, you know. Pull it together, man. This is what you do. Probably done you quite well, to be fair. She's what? She, it's probably done you quite well. I would say so, fair. man. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. She's pretty much the one that I can't fucking hate anything from. <laughs> to be honest. Um, kind of nice also that we both chose female characters to relate who, who, to. Who, who's yours? Uh, well, pessimistically, it'd be Charlie because she's able to talk shit all night. Uh, optimistically, I see myself as more of a. Marie DeSalle. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but but not absolutely nowhere near the looks, but more for the, um, she's funny, self-deprecating. She's the coolest one, but she's also the emptiest one. Mm, yeah, but that's very much me. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> All frocking no knickers. Um, also, the interior design of her bedroom is fucking bagging. Bro, yeah, bro. <laughs> those, those windows? Yeah, exactly. The windows around the bed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, those, those wooden windows. I've got those exact windows as frames from my art in my house. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. How did you get all that? They're, they're just not hanging. Um, Gemma, Highfidelity.com. Highfidelity.com. <laughs> I got in touch with your pal who models himself off John Cusack <laughs> and uh, High Fidelity. And um, yeah, contacted him. He gave me some some tips. It was like, uh, where um, my girlfriend Gemma lives, um, the, the, the back bit where she lives, like literally outside her kitchen window is like a window factory. No and way. there's fucking <laughs> hundreds of these old wooden windows just lying about. And we stole about 10 of them one day. Amazing. Just like it was like two, three o'clock in the morning, jump out our window, she's ground floor, and then just pure, just stole them. Just close the window. Just done. in case the window factory owner is listening, Flicks and Scoops does not condone the behaviour of Chris Davis. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to have to come around yours and have some window frames. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Do it because of the, you know, free and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, following on from the uh, female point there, mm-hmm. what's your take on how Rob sees gender roles? Yeah, pretty poor, to be honest. Though. Like it's, um, yeah, you can't really put too much defense up on him, which is one of the reasons why um, <clears throat> you, you, we, we hate him so much because the, the way he treats women. First of all, the whole sex thing uh, with the first couple of girls. With Alison and Penny, and then, you know, Charlie kind of puts him in his place, but that's also his own self-deprecation and his own vulnerability coming through. But the best one that puts him in his place really is Marie de Salle, you know, because she is just like, I'm not going to let anyone come be- between me and a fuck. And at that moment, he's, I think you can just see, he's ah, right, that puts things into perspective. You know, I am just a fuck. And when they come out and, and, and part ways for the last time, you know, she kind of puts me in his place again, kind of just like, he's like that, I'll call you. And she's like, yeah, right. You know, bye. you go that, she goes that way, he goes the other way. Um, but yeah, you can't really, I don't think there's not much and has benefit really with the, with the gender role thing. I don't think so. Kind of, they, they're just, they're just um, objects, man. Yeah, this is it. And especially when judged by today's standards. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward to twenty twenty. Fast forward twenty two years. Uh, yeah, later to from when the film was made. Yeah, I think the term these days is "fuck boy" with an "i." Absolutely, <laughs> man. Yeah, boy, fuck boy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. This this sort of idea of women as entertainment, you know, he's ranking them. He ranks them on fashion rather than, uh, you know, personality traits and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I guess. He's, he's almost like an archetypal man. I suppose you could say that it sort of subverts that stereotype, but he still uses women. He just uses women for not because of power, but just through like loneliness and yeah. uh, self-hate. And- well, particularly with Laura after the dad's death, that's what he's, he just, he just doesn't want emptiness. Mm. And it's almost like he's settling for that. Like settling for Laura. But Laura also tells him as well. She's like, I'm tired. I'm too tired to like go with Ian and, and fight him off and that. So he's a bit like right, okay, well, thanks. But he's he's he, he finally settles down. There's there's one hiccup with the little um with the girl that comes into the shop, you know, after everything's okay and everything's going so well. 
there's one little hiccup and she comes in and he says, I'll make you a mixtape. And I think that's just the last of it. But you're still like that, Rob, for fuck's sake. Come on, get it together. Like Laura's the one, you know. But he make, I think he makes a mixtape and then sends it off and I think that's it. I think that's kind of a little metaphor. Puts a kibosh on it, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the, the double standards are a bit shitty as well. It's like he's just slept with another woman. I can't remember which one it is, but then he's getting all panicky that Laura's going to go sleep with Ray. Yeah, even though, you know, even though he's just got his rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got his his standards are all over the place, you know. Yeah, absolutely. This is the one that I've most been looking forward to. Top five songs from the soundtrack. I mean, okay, so like I said, the whole soundtrack was banging every song, and it was great. But not only that, it just led me to loads of places in mm. life uh, with music. <coughs> um. I mean, is this in a particular order? It has, it's got to be. It's got to be the top five. Oh, it? shit. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Okay. Easy peasy. Easy. Oh, it's a tough one. because Okay, so, and at number five. And at number five is uh, Velvet Underground, Oh Sweet Nothing. Right? It has to be. Um, and then we have a, at number four, um, the Stereo Lab. Um, and I can't remember what the song is for the life of me, but there's only one in it. It's actually when that girl comes in, uh, the the journalist comes in she's like oh is this stereo mm-hmm. like i haven't heard this one um that's then at number four and i, sh- I feel like i should be doing like the like 70s top of pops or something three is good this is tough this is tough this is tough three is going to be the stuff little fingers stuff uh suspect device that is when, um, you know, that's the the kind of alternative to Green Day that Dick and Annie, Anna, Anna, Anna Moss. Right. Anna Moss, is she all like fuzzy and green and shit? <laughs> what did you mean, her, the bus shelter? Um, yeah, so Stiff Little Fingers comes on at Suspect Device. They are amazing. An amazing Irish punk band uh, who I've seen live since uh, that watching this okay this is really tough uh okay number two is the 13th floor elevators uh you're gonna wake up because that led me into a whole plethora of 60s garage music Mm. you know like really really cool stuff and then uh, uh, number one has to be the beta band dry the rain oh no oh (laughs) tell me tell me speak to me speak to me where, the, where, where, where would you think I was going? Because it, it, it wasn't going to be Bob Dylan most of the time. No, no, no. I, I, I'm honestly surprised at your top five just from earlier on in this conversation. Uh, but Beta Band, I don't know. I think maybe it's just connotations that I have of them from growing up. But I always remember them being like a bit of a wanky band. Oh, no, dude. Get that right out of your fucking oh, really? head. No, right. <laughs> so um, Beta Band, uh, you know, guys out of Scotland. Uh, a guy's out of Dundee, uh, John McLean, and uh, he has his own stuff. Now, they had a, a few things. I wish I'd been a bit better prepared to, uh, for this, actually, come to think of it. One quick Google search will, uh, you know, sort out all your, <coughs> all your issues there, Chris. Um, but the beta band, the the three EPs album that they play and reference in the film is one of the greatest Scottish albums that exist. Okay. It's absolutely Maybe amazing. I'll have to and it's it. very uh, so Dry the Rain is probably one of the more relatable tracks on it. Um, but there's just a couple of crackers and they get very experimental and they've just they're very they're a very layered band. They use a lot of loops, they use a lot of instruments. And there's I think there was only three of them. But John McLean has since went solo um doing his other stuff. And what the fuck are they called, man? Biscuits or something. But anyway, I saw him live as well like two, three years ago here in Berlin and he had this. He's just he's just brilliant. He's just all about he's all about he's all about bass and he's all about percussion. And he's just this little dude that wears like jumpsuits and he's straight out of Dundee. And he's just a really sound guy, you know. But, right. but it's interesting you think that they're up themselves because I mean are you a fan of Bell and Sebastian? Yes, but begrudgingly <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm not really a fan of Bell and sebastian because okay. i think they're too fucking happy and cheesy you know <laughs> and uh and uh, and a friend put it well one time he said i don't like Bell and sebastian it's almost as like they've never been punched in the face <laughs> and that kind of rang stayed with very me. accurate yeah very yeah accurate. that kind of stayed with me and i was like ah, fuck them i don't like them you know that's why i really particularly like it when jack black on one of the first on one of the opening scenes we were introduced to the shop basically is when he comes in and he like chucks off Bell and Sebastian and throws it at Dick and then sticks on um, 
yeah, what is it again? Sticks on. I'm just impressed that you've uh, remembered the scenes in which all your songs are from because I ain't got a fucking clue where. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I've watched, as you know, I've watched a bunch of things. True. So, in my number five is Everybody's Gonna Be Happy. Right. Kinks. Number four, You're Gonna Miss Me, 13th Floor Elevators. Yeah. Yeah. Three, Always See Your Face by Love. Mm-hmm. Number two, who loves the sun? Velvet mm. Underground. Okay, so yeah. So I you had, can see where this is going. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, <laughs> so yeah, I had I was so sweet and I had sweet nothing. Mm. I get like that. But number one has to be. Oh shit, here we go. Let's oh, get it. Let on. it go, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Oh, you went there. You went there. It was too obvious. It was a bit too obvious. It was too but obvious. Fucking come then. on. But it's, it's a nice thread throughout the throughout the film because that's um the, the you know what is it the Rob always Rob thinks that. Uh, Rob and Laura owe their whole entire relationship to that song, Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On. And then, of course, Jack Black like nails it at the end. Yeah. In real time. Like, that was like a, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like a proper, like a proper, like a proper thing. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite fact or piece of trivia about the film? I don't really have one. Oh, <laughs> me neither, really. <laughs> I don't really have one. I just know- a bit, a bit. Flat. I didn't really, yeah, I didn't it's really. Empty on there, well, well, it is, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't notice that as well. There was like, yeah, there wasn't much. There was no like real kind of, yeah, I, I didn't really get much. Mine's a very uh, sort of six degree of separation one. But Tim Robbins admitted that he agreed to take the small roles in this and later Anchorman, even though he knew it wouldn't get much cash for it because they promised to make him a custom wig for each part. And he got to keep both of them. And after filming, he says that he often uses them as part of Halloween costumes. So Tim Robbins probably wanders around looking like Ray at Halloween parties. I mean, it's quite the fee. Like, it's a unique fee <laughs> like to take. Like, I will, I will star in this movie for a wig. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could probably just actually go get one made. I mean, I. I mean, what? <laughs> But yeah, okay, man. I mean, Tim Robbins is great. I like how he's quite self-deprecating in this film as well, man. When you first see him, you're like, oh, right. Especially because I think at the time as well, it was in the midst of him doing like Shawshank Redemption and all those more serious roles. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a change to form. Did you ever see Jacob's Ladder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, that was a cracking film, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just called to say I love you. Do you have it? Yeah. Great. We have it. Great. Can I have it then? No. No, you can't. Why not? Well, it's sentimental tacky crap. That's why not. Do we look like the kind of store that sells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. is she in a coma? Oh, okay, buddy. I didn't know it was pick on the middle-aged square guy day. My apologies. I'll be on my way. Bye-bye. Well, Chris, you're a man who's been uh, reviewed, given stars. You know how star systems work in, in regards to reviewing films? Yeah, unfortunately I do. Yeah, forget it, baby. Because right. <laughs> this is flicks and scoops. Yeah, okay. So we like to rate the film out of five scoops. Right. So I would like for you, Chris Davis, to rate High Fidelity out of five scoops. I mean... You know, it's got to be five. I knew you were gonna say. I mean, it has to be. There's no, there's no failure. There's no failure here, man. This is my go-to film. If this was a movie that we were talking about that we'd never, that neither of us watched, or we had watched it like for the first time and then came yeah. here to do a thing and like discuss it and shit like that, then of course it would be different. <laughs> but it can be. It's my, it's my film, man. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. my film. It's my go-to. I can't ever watch it again and give it like four scoops. You know, Fine. five scoops. Take your time with that ice cream. Don't be shoving it in. We don't need it done in one scoop. It's going to make you feel shit. It's going to make you feel rough. Okay. You take it easy. You get your little tub and you just five scoop it in your mouth. <laughs> I would say three. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's fine, though, man. That's fine. Like, this is one of the things, you know, that I live my life by. One of the first things that I was, that, that, I, that I kind of uh, attached myself to was, was Rob's quote when uh, Jack Black and Dick um, are fighting about uh, Lippy Lip and Loop De Doo and Who Done It Better, the Righteous Brothers or oh, yeah. the, what's the, the something machine? 
And then, and then it's like, oh, it's okay. He's like, what do you mean? And then Jabba's like, bullshit. And then he, Rob just comes in and goes, how can it be bullshit to state a preference? And that kind of, that's a little mantra that I've kind of lived my life by for a, a, a long time. That's why I said at the beginning why I'm not the best debater and why I don't have favorite things and why I don't kind of have discussions about if it's a tub or a pot or a <laughs> cup or a fucking whatever. Because I'm like, just a preference, man. It's like Big Lebowski. That's like your opinion, you know? <laughs> I can't argue with it. All right. Well, for the record, it's a tub. But anyway, thanks, Chris, <laughs> for, for coming Yes, if I'm um, angry. Just before we finish up, is there anything that people should look out for, listen for? Where can we find you? Where can you find me? Well, look, I mean, I'm sure we'll, we're, you're going to put the links to my stuff uh, is somewhere you would think wouldn't you you would <laughs> think but well I'm sure there'll be a link to something do me a favour click on it uh, follow it like it whatever it is that you have to do to see when I'm going to be performing next I'm going to be in Berlin performing all of April May June July um, and depending on what happens in August the Edinburgh Fringe will depend on whether I do it again okay because uh, maybe I just uh, I don't get the big break, Ash, and I'm just like, fuck it, I'm hanging up those comments. I'm having we that. eagerly await your return. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool, that's everything. Thanks so much for doing this. It's been no. a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on, man. It was a lot of fun. No worries. See you next week, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>